So good to see you today, this beautiful morning. I also want to say welcome to those who are viewing online. We're so honored to have um, the ability to come bring you God's word this morning. My name is Brandon Ziske, lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. Um, Our heartbeat is to be simply about Jesus. And that's why we want to help people to meet, know, and follow him because he's a game changer. He's where we find life, we find our hope, we find our meaning. And uh, I really feel compelled just to start this morning just by spending some time in prayer. And so would you join me in prayer this morning? Psalm 25. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Father, we come appealing to your mercy appealing to your steadfast love, looking up to you for that, to taste it again, to see it again, to realign our hearts again to you. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me, O Lord Jesus. We praise you that when you see us, You see your son, Father, you see your son. When you look at us, you don't see our sins. You see the covering of your son. We praise you for that, Lord. Jesus, you told us in John 8, 32, that the truth sets us free. This morning, we pray, Lord, that your truth rings out clearly So, Father, would you take my words and would you use it through the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts this morning. In Christ's name, amen. I want to encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 4. And as you're heading in that direction, Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 30, I want to start out by um, making a public confession this morning, um, to which a lot of people are like, ooh, gossip. But no, trust me, it's not that bad. But it might explain a few things that you might be having in your mind. Some of you may be like, oh, this it makes sense why this and that happens. And here's the confession. I hate mirrors. I really, really hate them. I don't like to use them much in the morning when I'm getting ready. Like, I, this is why I, I hate cameras. Like, I really don't like preaching to a camera. I hate taking my pictures being taken because, quite frankly, I don't want to see what I look like because I really enjoy what I think I look like. You know what I'm saying? Like, you ever hear your voice on a recording and you go, that's what I sound like? Like, I don't want to hear my hybrid Minnesotan-Wisconsin accents. Like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear my bad grammar. I don't want to see myself balding. Like, I I just don't want to see it. Because in my own mind, my own constructive reality, I think I look pretty dang good. Okay, so like I just rather would not see that. And so partly part of, the, part of that is my struggle is I'm not real, um, let's say fashionable, which you're like, yeah, this makes sense why you don't like the mirrors. And if I look good, it's because my wife dresses me. So thank her. But back in the day when I was a college pastor, I was a college pastor for um, about 11 years or so. And it dawned on me one day that I am progressively getting older. And college students essentially stay the same age. 
So like when I started a college ministry, like I was a young guy. I, I was in, I was part of the trend. I stayed with them. But eventually over time, things like Facebook and MySpace and cell phones started to show up and fashion trends started to change. And I just started to realize like, my gosh, I wonder if they're starting to think of me as like grandpa. So I thought maybe I would try to fit in and get fashionable. And I don't remember exactly when it happened, but this weird, horrible fashion trend started where skinny jeans and cardigans showed up. Now, praise the Lord, I never went for skinny jeans because they just never got past my knees, period. It just didn't work. But cardigans, I thought I could sport a cardigan, okay? And so one day, I remember I was heading to college church and to get ready to preach at, at the college time. And, and I just stopped at Target, which was the shopping premier center of Winona, Minnesota. And I ran in real quick and I thought, I need a new outfit. I need to fit in. And so I bought this great cardigan and I tried it on, but I didn't look at a mirror because I hate mirrors. And I was like, I look pretty dang good in this, even though I couldn't see anything. And I was like, it, it, I can sport this. I go to the, you know, to the nights and it's a great night, laughs happen, you know, God met people and all that kind of good stuff. And I come home and my wife who loves me dearly, she looked at me and she said some words I will never forget. She's like, hun, that cardigan, it's not that flattering on you. Which in other words, it makes you look bad, right? Like, and she was so loving that she actually tried to take it away and hide it and even tried to get rid of it. But I was offended by the fact that she would say that I didn't look good in this cardigan. Like I legitimately, I was offended. I was hurt. And I was like, what do you know? You don't know male fashion trend as if I do. And I was just like, you don't know. So I like, I would find it. She would hide it and try to throw it away. And I would grab it again and I would wear it again. And then one day, I saw a picture of myself preaching in it and I went, that's what I look like? It's like, I just couldn't receive the words, but my wife was loving so much that she was just like, listen, you're really actually, you look bad, but you're really embarrassing me. So please don't wear that. It's hard to face the truth, isn't it? It really is. It's hard to be confronted. A lot of times when the truth is given to us, it's easy to be offended. It's easy to deny the truth, to reject it, to argue it, to get defensive, to try our best to never, ever hear it again. I mean, like, seriously, how many of us in this room enjoy being confronted with our shortcomings? Enjoy hearing our downfalls and where we've hurt people or maybe our weak spots? How many of us enjoy when someone comes and they speak the truth in love and they share some things with us that is hard to hear, but it's necessary to hear? And you know that they love you and you probably even know that they mean well. But when you hear that truth being spoken, you question if they actually do love you. You know, when you said this or when you did that, that actually really hurt me. You've been uncaring recently. You've been selfish, inconsiderate, rude, disrespectful, whatever it is. And I know that you're just like me. You're a sinner. You're a human. We don't like to face the reality often. In fact, it's those times when we get offended with other people and we want to push back and fight back. And even to the degree, sometimes we have done this, we cut others off because we don't want to hear that truth. How dare they say that? I mean, we all welcome compliments. We all welcome the positive feedback and encouragement and the things that be, uh, build us up. We crave it. In fact, I would even dare say that we would even receive it even if we know it's flattery. Just tell me what I want to hear. Tell me that I'm good. 
Just, just show me these things. Like, don't have to tell me the truth. Just, just speak some good love to me. Conform to my thoughts and my heart and all that kind of stuff. If I ask you if I look fat in this, don't tell me the truth. Have you ever wondered why people just can't seem to get themselves to believe that God loves them? Like, you ever just read this gospel message and you're like, how can they miss this? Like, God promises freedom and joy and forgiveness. Like, how can you miss this? Have you ever wondered why there are certain seasons in your life that you don't want to be in God's word? You don't want to pray. You don't want to go to church. You don't want to hear God's truth. There are so many times when we do that. We just simply don't want to be confronted with the reality. We don't want God to hold up the mirror in front of us and to show us the truth of who we are. It's offensive. We would rather have God say what we want him to say. We would rather God show us what we want him to show us. We would rather have God be conformed to what we want him to be conformed to. It's in us, it's innate in us to not want to hear the truth. But here's the thing. And I want you to grab hold of this because there's so many people in the church that think they know Jesus and they think they understand the gospel, but they have never understood this. You can never experience the good news of Jesus. And I'm going to say this slowly. You can never experience the good news of Jesus. You can never experience the power of God unto salvation unless you look in the mirror and accept the truth of what you see. And that can be offensive because we like to think that, we better that we're better than what we really are. And that's why Jesus in the gospel is oftentimes a stumbling block. He's offensive, but Jesus doesn't hold up the mirror in our lives to show us the reality of our state because he just wants to condemn us and guilt us and shame us. No, he does that because he's speaking the truth. He wants us to understand that he loves us so much that we can never experience the power of God. We can never understand the good news of Jesus unless we see the bad news. And that's why he does it. We see this dynamic at play clearly in Luke chapter 4 as we see Jesus coming back to his hometown in Nazareth. So let's look at this. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So this is on the heels of last week's message of Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And we know that there's some things that he did in between that story and this story. But Luke is trying to write to Theophilus to give him the certainty, to give him the courage and the confidence that Jesus is a different kind of king, that he has a different kind of kingdom, and that his kingdom is going to be in the hearts of people. He's altogether different. So Luke is intentionally taking Theophilus on this journey. He's helping Theophilus think clearly about who is Jesus. And right here in this story, we see this question full frontal, on full display. Who is Jesus? And what we're going to see is, is that the people in Nazareth, they think they know who Jesus is. And yet they can't see themselves for the way that Jesus is trying to help them see who they are apart from him. Word has spread 
that this Jesus, the homeboy from Nazareth, he's out there preaching the kingdom of God and he's done a few miracles and all these kind of things. There's buzz about him. He comes and as was his custom, he goes to synagogue and he sits down and all of a sudden it's his turn to read. He gets the scroll of Isaiah and he opens it up to Isaiah chapter 61 and he reads it. And this is a powerful scene because Jesus is going to read a prophecy in, out of Isaiah that they all would have understand completely. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll and he gives it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Can you imagine that scene in that moment? And he began to say to them, today, right now, this moment in this dusty, small synagogue in this no-name village nobody respects or looks up to in Nazareth, today, it's fulfilled in your hearing. Right now. This is not an ordinary moment. Jesus is revealing himself to his hometown, to his friends and family. Folks, you got to think about this. Some of these guys in the synagogue probably played kickball with Jesus. Maybe they climbed the olive trees together. Maybe they babysat for Mary. Like they know him, they've seen him. They've seen him grow up as a little lad all the way up to now this young man in a synagogue preaching this text. I mean, this is not an ordinary moment. This is the son of God breaking into world history in this moment saying today, this prophecy that was foretold years ago is fulfilled in your hearing. And the text implies that he began to preach off of this. And at the end, verse 22, tells us how the crowd responded. And they were like, whoa, that boy can preach. They marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. And then you can just imagine someone going, wait, wait, wait. This is Joseph's boy, right? Like at first they're like, whoa. And they're like, wait a second. How could... How could he say that? All of a sudden you start to feel the tension mounting in this scene and in this moment. Isaiah 61, for every Jew at that time, when Jesus came, they understood exactly this chapter. It was the longing for the Messiah. It was the longing of the Savior to come and to rescue them from the oppression of Rome and the other pagan influences and to restore the glory of Jerusalem again. They saw this as a message of the divine arrival of salvation. It's an end time picture of salvation. And they would interpret it as this way. They said that they saw it as God would be saving Israel and condemning the wicked nations. They saw that God would be pouring out his favor and his grace on Israel and yet pouring out his wrath and destruction on the nations. That's how they understood this. In fact, they probably, when they heard this, in Isaiah 61 prophecy that Jesus was reading, they're like, Jesus, you left out a section, which he did. He left out a really interesting section in Isaiah 61 verse 2. 
It says that he came to proclaim the year of the the Lord's favor, comma, the day of vengeance of our God. You gotta imagine the crowd going, did you forget that part, Jesus? If you were in that synagogue that morning, that Sabbath day, I guarantee you, you would have sat there and you would have felt all sorts of emotions. I guarantee you. You would have been feeling the emotions of hope and yet confusion. Hearing the message of this redemption, but yet you go, I know you. One of excitement and one of doubt. And all of the eyes are fixed on Jesus. Friends and family who knew him. Jesus is saying, today, it is fulfilled. Jesus is claiming that he is the one that the spirit is on. He is the prophet. He is the Messiah. And why doesn't Jesus go into the day of vengeance, the wrath of God? Because it's not the time yet. Now is the year of the Lord's favor. Now is the era of redemption. Now is the era of new starts, new beginnings, new creations. It will come, but not yet. And they understood that the Messiah was also to be a light to all nations. And they didn't like that. Because at this point in this time, they thought they were good. They were righteous. They were the ones with truth. They were enlightened. Their eyes were the ones open. They're the evil ones. They couldn't see themselves in the metaphors that Jesus was bringing to them. They didn't want to see themselves in the mirror that Jesus was holding up. No, we're not poor. No, we're not prisoners. No, we're not blind. No, we're not oppressed. That's not us. Jesus, we know you. You're the son of a carpenter. We know you. So if you want us to believe you, won't you dazzle us a little bit? Won't you do what you've been doing in all the other places? Won't you do a little sign? I don't know. Turn some stones into bread. Sound familiar? Do a little sign for us, Jesus. Jesus, do what we want. Say what we want. Act how we want you to. Play the role that we have set for you. (laughs) But here's the beautiful truth. Jesus conforms to nobody. He is who he is. And he will always speak the truth because he knows that in speaking the truth, it is the most loving thing he can do. And in fact, in this passage that he's sharing with them, he's loving them. He knows that they need to hear and to see the reality of who they are apart from Jesus. Friends, I get this. And I know you do too. I know you felt these tensions before. I know that you know what it's like to come to Jesus and have this mixture of hope. Oh my goodness, maybe God can do this. Maybe he can fix this. Maybe he can act this way and yet also carry with you a tension of doubt. Because I don't know about you, but for me, I would rather walk by sight than by faith. 99 days out of 100. I would rather live by the things that I can touch, that I can see, that I can have instant access to. And sometimes when I pray and read God's word, it's not what I want to hear. I don't want to hear some things. I don't want to be confronted with some, I don't want to always have to confess my sin. I don't always want to, like, you ever feel that tension? You're just like, 
It's easy to be offended at God. How many of you ever thought this? God, I thought you loved me. God, I thought you were for me. Why are you not acting? Why are you not speaking this way? Why are you not showing me this? And we can get offended. God, God, I thought you were good, but apparently you're not. You answer their prayers, you do this for them, but for me, you don't do anything. And that's an offense. We try to get Jesus to conform to our ways, our whims, our thoughts. We want Jesus to play the role that we want him to play. We don't want to confront the reality. We don't always want to hear the truth. We think we might know Jesus, but really, and Jesus speaks clearly to them. And he doesn't become like feisty for the sake of being feisty to be argumentative. He's doing it because he loves. In verse 23, he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. You know, when we actually, when Jesus actually heard that, when he was on the cross, at some point they're going to say that, come on, if you are who you say you are, what we heard you do at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well, Jesus. I mean, he knew they wouldn't believe him. He knew they wanted Jesus to do what they wanted. He knew that. I mean, in that synagogue, his brothers and sisters are in there. Imagine that. Like, I, I, like imagine, like, all of a sudden coming and you're saying, hey, guys, I know this is going to be hard to hear, but I'm the Messiah. To which I know my siblings would be like, Imagine how hard that would be. In fact, we actually know that Jesus' family thought he was nuts. They thought he was crazy, embarrassed. Imagine being part of the family at the moment and be like, yeah, he's, he's the, the bad apple of the family. We don't know him. We don't associate with him. He confronted them with the truth, even if the truth was going to be hurtful. He needed them to see the reality. Jesus has come to bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people, but only for those who will accept what they see in the mirror that will be able to understand and experience the power of God. He has come to proclaim good news to the poor. Like, I want you to think about this. When he said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the good news to the poor, he's given four categories of people, the only type of people who could be receptive to the gospel. He's proclaiming good news to the poor. Well, who are the poor? Are they just the socially and economically poor? No, but it surely does include them 100%. But he's speaking of a conscious, moral, and spiritual poverty. Those who understand that they're broken, they're empty, they're prone to wander, they're enslaved to self, they're full of idols that just kind of keep being coming out of their hearts left and right. They're full of pride feeling and having this innate understanding that they need something outside of them to rescue them, to save them. That's being poor. Now, listen, that's not good news to those who think they look good in a cardigan. That's not good news to those who think they're good enough, that somehow they can do enough good to be right, who think that it's them and not me. To those who are self-sufficient, He, became, he came to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners, 
Those who are locked up in a prison cell and they can't get out. Captives to sin and death, the world, Satan, right? You can't get out. All you can see is the light that's coming through the window of your prison cell. He came to proclaim liberty to prisoners. He came to restore the sight to those who are blind, who are stark and stuck in this perpetual darkness. They're purposeless. They're wandering. He came to set liberty to the oppressed, those who are broken in pieces, squashed by life circumstances, and I can't see a way out. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of jubilee, to which all of us with student debt to be like, yes! To which you're like, I don't get it. It's the elimination of all debt. Hey, let's have some fun. Who in this room have debt, financial debt? Raise your hand. Come on. Some of you are lying. Some of you are just amazing financial stewards. Way to go. But just imagine, all of a sudden you're like, all debt forgiven. I mean, that's the year of Jubilee. But Jesus is taking this and saying all of our sin, all of the debt that comes from our sin, all of that. This is the time of a new era where freedom happens, where joy happens. This is the year of the Lord's favor. Now is the time. This is good news. Why wouldn't people be excited to hear this? Oh, because you have to look in the mirror and realize that you're spiritually poor, you're not good enough, and you'll never be good enough, and that you are a prisoner to sin, you're enslaved to sin, and that you're blind. You got to admit that. You got to see that. Because otherwise, the good news will just fall on deaf ears. They didn't want that. My question to you is do you see yourself in the mirror? Do you see the implications of this? When you look at the gospel, do you understand and remember that apart from Jesus, you are spiritually poor. There's nothing you can bring to the table. You are an object of God's wrath, dead to sin, without hope in the world. Do you understand that you are a slave to sin apart from the gospel? Apart from the cross of Jesus, you are a slave to sin and death. Do you understand that apart from the gospel, you are blind? Even though sometimes we think we know the truth and we think we understand life and its purposes, you are blind. That you are oppressed. The village of Nazareth at that moment, they didn't want anything to do with that. And that's why Jesus goes on. He's like, okay, let me tell you a story. Let me help you see your heart a little bit more. Verse 25, but I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Seraphath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. They would understand this story completely. This widow was a Gentile, not a Jew, not an Israelite. And at that time, in the famine, there was a lot of widows in Israel, but God didn't send the great prophet Elijah to any of them, but to a Gentile. In other words, they were missing it. They didn't want to understand their need and their destitution. They didn't want to understand their spiritual need and poverty. But she did, and this spiritual picture starts to show up when Elijah comes to this, this widow 
The widow says, Elijah comes and says, would you take the last of your flour and oil and make a meal for me? She's like, all I have left is enough for one more meal for my son and I, and we're going to die. She could have kept that for herself. She could have hung on to that, but she, uh, she trusted Elijah. In essence, trusted God, because Elijah said that if you do this, as long as the famine, you will never be in need. This is a picture of a widow who understood her complete spiritual poverty. That's the picture. Oh, and in the land of Israel at that time of Elisha, another great prophet, there was a lot of lepers in Israel. But none of them were cleansed except Naaman. Well, who is Naaman? He's the commander of the Syrian army, the great enemy of Israel at that time. What Jesus is essentially saying to them is, you are in great danger. He's saying that to the people of Nazareth. You are in great danger. You can miss all of this if you're not willing to look in the mirror and accept the fact that you are poor, you are wretched, you are blind. Once you accept that fact, you understand that this is a beautiful thing. But they didn't want it. They were so offended that Jesus would talk like this. They were so offended that Jesus would say that the Gentiles were of greater faith than they were, that the Gentiles understood it more than they did. They were so offended by this that they didn't just simply set down the sermon, wow, that's some hard truth, Jesus. That was a really good point. I'm gonna have to think about that one. They were so offended that they got, they didn't even like finish the synagogue service because normally there'd be a benediction and some amen rehearsal type of thing. They just got up and they drove them out of the synagogue, picture this, to the brow of the hill to throw him off the top, basically to kill him. They were offended to the point of murder. And here's one of those moments where I wanted to go, Jesus, what was this like? He just like passed right through them can't touch me. Like, what was that like? In fact, every time I read it, I'm like, why did he allow them to get to that point? Why didn't he just like do that in the synagogue? Right? Like, how did that work? Like, you know, okay, maybe that's just me. This is an important message for us to understand. Jesus passed right on by. They were in danger of missing it. They didn't want to receive who Jesus said he was. They were so offended that Jesus would even dare call them poor, blind, depressed. They were mad that Jesus wouldn't play the roles that they wanted him to play. Friends, listen. Just like then in Israel when there were many widows starving in the famine and many lepers in the land. Just like today, then is today, there's many spiritual, hungry, starving people, people who are spiritually ravaged with sin and disease, spiritually speaking. And many don't realize it. They don't want to admit it. They don't want to see it. They don't want to accept it. They don't want to look at it for what it is. 
They would rather believe that they are all good, able, and self-sufficient. But church, listen, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Look in the mirror that Jesus is holding up and see your sinful state apart from him. Realize that you are in need of a savior and of rescuing. Realize that there is nothing that you can do or that you would never be good enough to earn his love and his favor and eternal life. Realize that apart from him, your heart is hard and dead. Realize that you are slaves to sin and there's nothing that you can do to break those chains. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time for this fresh start. It's the year of Jubilee. Yes, there will be a time of wrath. In fact, the wrath of God was fully poured out on Jesus while he hung on the cross. That was due to us. That was our punishment. And he took it upon himself. It's great news. I read this and I go, I don't understand what he said that was so bad that they wanted to kill him. But then I look at my own heart. And it's all of those moments when God's like, Brandon, do you see this? Do you see this sin in you? And I just want to go, I am no different. Make no mistake, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. And when you receive Jesus and you place him as the Lord and Savior of your life, this is so good. When you look in the mirror now, yeah, you're still going to be reminded of your spiritual poverty and your brokenness, but you're going to see a new creation. And more than that, you're going to see Jesus in your place. That is so beautiful. We just have to admit it and see it. Redemption and rescuing only makes sense when we understand sin. Who is Jesus to you? You have to answer that question. Will you this morning allow him to show you your heart and your state apart from him? Will you realize that he is exactly who he said he is and that he accomplished exactly what he said he would accomplish? My favorite part of this whole story is just thinking about James, Jesus' brother. Because we know in the Gospels that James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. In fact, he thought he was crazy. But then James becomes a major pillar in the church. And he writes the epistle of James. And I love how he dresses himself. James, a servant of Christ Jesus. At that moment, James didn't recognize Jesus for being the one. But after the resurrection, all bets are off. Would you join me in prayer? 
Father, I ask that this morning, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would take your words and you would use them like an arrow to pierce our heart. Use your word to speak directly to our hearts in the areas of our need. Lord, I pray for those of us in this room or even online who may think we understand you and know the gospel, but yet have never admitted our sin, our brokenness, our wretchedness, and even admitting that we never fully understood and rejoiced in the goodness of the gospel, struggling to understand the love of God. Lord, I just pray in this moment that your spirit would lead them to the truth. Lord, I want to pray for those who don't know you, who may be even offended by you in this moment, that they would just look to the cross and realize that is the best demonstration of love. If we ever question your heart, you've given us that to always look towards and the hope that comes from the resurrection. Lord, I pray that we as a church would never, ever tire of rejoicing in this hope, that we would never get bored with the gospel, that we would never stop preaching the gospel to ourselves, that we would never tire of declaring how worthy you are. You're worthy of everything. So give us the courage to look in the mirror. Your truth leads to freedom. So Holy Spirit, we pray that in these final moments today, together, gathered together, that your spirit would speak to us. Would you seal your work and your word in our hearts? In Christ's name.